Good morning. Good to see you guys. I mean, last time I saw you was a different decade. So, <laughs> glad to be here. We're going through this series called uh, For the Win. You know, um, going for the win really means for us to live for God's purposes for us. It means um, that we need to become the type of people that God wants us to be in every area of our life. Um, when you begin to understand that, usually what happens is you start comparing where you're at in every area of your life and where you should be, and very fast you start realizing that there's a need for drastic change, change of direction, the change that you're living in the, in the different areas of your life, you know, whether it be at home as a, as a son, as a, as a brother or sister, as a daughter, as a husband or wife, you know, you start realizing that there's a need for change professionally, as, as an athlete, you know, in any area of your life. And um, what we are seeing in this series is that God provides a, a different uh, series of resources that will allow you to identify what route should you take and how to maintain that route, you know, from the faith that he gives you to believe in him and believe in the needs of those changes, you know, to the wisdom that you need to identify the right direction, uh, to the power that you need to maintain that direction. But today, uh, I want to talk to you about another, uh, another resource that God provides for you, but one that I have realized that because it doesn't sound very spiritual, people like underestimate it or take it very lightly. And I'm talking about the reinforcements that you need for your life. Uh, I would like to pray for us and then I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Pray with me, please. Father, uh, we just thank you so much for your love, for buying this life by giving yours on the cross. And I know, Father, your word tells us that uh, you, you bought our life and saved us for a reason, for us to do certain things on this earth. And, and that's exactly what we would like to do, Father. Live for you, live for your purposes. So please, uh, help us uh, understand very clearly these concepts that we're going to study today and help us see the importance of what we're going to talk today. We place ourselves in your hands in, in, in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. I would like to start with a small survey. Uh, listen to the whole thing before you answer. How many of you uh, in the past have registered into a, a gym? You know, you joined a gym uh, thinking, I'm changing my lifestyle. I'm going to get in shape. You know, from now on, everything is going to be different. I'm really going to work out, be healthy. And three months later, you were out of the gym. Be honest. How many of you paid the last month without showing up one single time? You know, okay. okay. <laughs> How many of you, you know, after that experience or instead of that experience, you thought, no, what I really need is to buy some sports equipment and have it in my house. Because if I have it in my house, I'm really going to use it. You know, so you bought a treadmill or one of those fixed bikes or one of those things to, you know, do weights. And today you're using it for what they were really designed, which is hanging the dirty clothes. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could keep asking you questions like that, even, even related to, to church. You know, how many of you have heard a, a, a needed change in your life and you identified and said, yes, I'm going to do it. And you started doing it and today you have abandoned your intentions of doing it. See, what that shows us is one simple fact. Good intentions are not enough. You know, good intentions are never enough, and especially when it comes to changing the course of your life. When you realize that fundamental changes to your life need to be done, and you're trying to do those, and especially it becomes really hard when you try to do them 
by yourself. And I'm not talking about uh, without the power of God. I'm talking about trying to do it by yourself in this world that is going in the wrong direction and try to go in the right direction all alone. See, in our walk, we all need the help of other people. You know, this is what I call the reinforcements of your life. You know, it's when you're in a war and you're losing the battle and you go for reinforcement. You need people around you that will help you identify the right path and then help you keep that direction because uh, I'm about to say something important and I'm warning you because I notice that people don't notice when I say things that are important. So this is important, pay attention. The quality of your life will in great measure be determined by the type of relationships that you develop, by the type of people that you surround yourself with, that will determine the quality of your life. Okay, so what we're about to talk about here, it's crucially important for your path. As you can see in your program, we're gonna talk about four groups of people that I need in my life and that you need in your life, okay? Tons of info, so let's get into it. Number one, I need models that inspire me. You need models that inspire you, people that give you an example that you want to follow. Clearly, since we are uh, believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus was our main model, our main example. He said it himself in John 13, 15. He said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. See, one of the reasons why he came, not the main reason, but one of the reasons that he came for was to give us an example of how his life supposed to be lived. But I have noticed that when you say that to, to a lot of people, an immediate barrier comes up in their brains because they say, yes, but Jesus was God. Jesus was perfect and I am not. And, and it, it is, it's, a, it's a valid point. You know, Jesus was God and was perfect. And this is why you need to find models um, around you from regular people. Because when you find examples from imperfect people, you can see that a lot of things are possible even for us imperfect people. See, this is the way that Paul explained it in Philippians. He said, this is how it works. Philippians 3, 17, Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, there's that word, a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul says, this is the way it works. I'm gonna preach a way of living and I'm gonna live that way. And if you see me living it, then copy me, imitate me. And those of you who cannot see me, imitate those who are doing it, who are imitating me. So if you think about it, imitation is the natural way in which we learn. That's how you learn how to walk. That's how you learn how to talk. Actually, that's how your character was built. You know, the values that you're pursuing, you, you learn them by imitation. Now, the, the, the sad reality is that when you were a baby, when you were a, a young person, you did not have the choice of picking your models. You were just born into a family. And, and those were your models, you learned from them. And if you had good models, chances are that you have a healthy self-image, you're self-confident, you have solid values. But if you did not, chances are that maybe your mistakes were faced with impatience and anger, maybe violence or abuse. And, and you probably see this world as a negative place. It is very sad, you know, that we learn what we see. And, and a lot of people are walking around carrying scars that they got from, from the models, you know, the, on their life, from imperfect models. But the good news is you can change your models. You don't have to stick with the same models. You can look for other models, people that will help you reprogram the way that you perceive life and that you live your life. 
There's excellent examples of people in the Bible, in, in, in other books, in biographies. Now, we have to be careful in our society to be able to distinguish between celebrities and, and good models. You know, because before you select a model, you have to carefully watch what they value, what they contribute to society, you know, if, if their family is truly happy. Because there's a lot of people that become famous nowadays uh, doing things that are not worth imitating in certain areas of their lives. So we need models that will inspire us to be a certain way, you know, from regular people, because when you look at regular people do things, see, it shows you what's possible, and it usually eliminates your excuses. See, um, I, I guess uh, all of us at some point start doubting ourselves, and we start setting limitations on ourselves. And this is why, see, one of my models is a person that thrives on talking about limitations. I'm gonna read you something from one of my models, and then I'm gonna show you who, who this person is. This is, uh, I got this from his webpage. He, he wrote this. It says, as human beings, we constantly set limits on ourselves, something that should never happen. But what is worse, we set limits on God, who can do all things. We put God in a box. What's important to understand about God's power is that if we want to do something for him, Instead of focusing on our capacity, we should focus on our availability. Because we know that it's God working through us, and we know that apart from God, we can do nothing. So once we are available for God's work, what capacity can we count on? Only God's capacity. See, this guy says you cannot limit yourself, you know, thinking that you have to do it yourself. If you are available to God, you have his capacity. You know who this guy is? His name is Nick Budishik. Have you ever seen Nick? Nick is a man that was born without arms, without legs. You know, he's right now a prosperous businessman, a prolific speaker, and, and he has a beautiful family. He got married, has a bunch of kids, you know? And, and, and you know why he's one of my models? Because he's pursuing things that I'm pursuing, and he doesn't let God put limits. I mean, he doesn't allow himself to put limits on God. See, from 2005, Nick has preached the gospel. Over 8 million people have watched him directly, live. You know, over 730 million people have watched him digitally preach the gospel. He has preached over 3,500 sermons in 69 different countries, has visited over 2,000 jails. And you know what his goal is? He wants to reach another billion people by 2028. See, if a person like Nick doesn't allow himself to put limits on himself, why would I? Why would you? So this is why we need models that inspire us. Now, I know that nobody's perfect. You know, I'm sure that if I had a chance to have a chat with Nick's wife, she would very fast point out at his weaknesses, you know. Uh, he's not perfect, you know. But we need to find, see, the best way to reach your goals is to find people, you know, models that have reached those goals. And then they can, they can model for you. So you have to ask yourself, who are my models in the different areas of my life? You know, who are my models uh, uh, for, for being a good son or daughter? or for being a good brother or sister, or for good, being a good husband or wife, a, a good worker, you know, a good boss, a good friend, a good neighbor. Who are my models? Who's my spiritual model? See, th these things are very important. See, if you don't look up to anyone, it means you think that you, don't, you can't learn anything from anyone. 
And if you think that way, you have a pride problem. And you're in dangerous ground. Because the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know why is that? Because humble people are teachable. They can learn. So you need to be humble enough to look around you and find models that inspire you. But you need more than models. Number two, I need mentors that advise me. I need to find in my life mentors that advise me. What, what is a mentor? See, a mentor is like a personal coach, you know, like a, a very trusted advisor. See, what mentors do is they keep you growing. They tend to bring out the best in you. See, usually, uh, you should find uh, uh, mentors for the different areas of your life. If you think about it, you have different roles in your life. You know, I am a husband, I am a father, I am a pastor, I'm in charge of my health, of my development, and mentors should help me in the different areas of my life. And what mentors would do is help me set goals in the different areas of my life, but specifically and specially, you need to find mentors that will make you search your soul and help you grow spiritually. See, if you look around in society, a lot of professions use the mentoring systems. You know, like doctors do, salespeople do, the military does. You know, I remember when I first started working in the hotel business, you know, I studied computer engineering, so I knew a lot about computers, but I've never worked at a hotel when I got a job as a systems manager. That's how they call it in Mexico, when you're in charge of the computers of a hotel. Uh, so since I didn't know the hotel business, what the company did is they asked me to become the shadow of a systems manager for two months. And all I did was walk around with him, see how he interacted with people, how he helped them, how he fixed problems. And after two months, I knew exactly what my job was. See, mentoring is the best method that exists to pass direction to a new generation. But it requires a few things. See, Proverbs 19.20 tells us, listen to advice and accept discipline. Those are crucial. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. This is what the people that succeed usually do these things. See, when I think of, of, of the best of the best, think of uh, people like Michael Jordan, considered by many people the best basketball player that's ever played the game. Do you think that he needed a coach? You, know, you, you study the, his career with the Chicago Bulls, you're going to find out something very interesting. He started playing with the Bulls, and Scottie Pippen was already there, and they didn't even make the playoffs until Phil Jackson became his coach. And then he unleashed them, and they started winning tournaments, and he became the best that he could be. You know, I, I, I personally believe that the, the best tennis player that there is, I love tennis, is Roger Federer. Have you studied the career of Roger Federer? He, he, he's done something very interesting. He's had one coach with him all throughout his career. He's the same person that coaches the Davis Cup team for Switzerland. He's always with him. But throughout his career, he's been switching another coach. He brings another person, and he always brings someone that will strengthen a different area of his game. So when he needed to strengthen his backhand or his forehand or become more aggressive, or, you know, he would bring a different person. Now, if people like Jordan and Federer needed a coach, don't you think you need one? You know, I need one. We, we all need coaches. And, and especially we need coaches in our spiritual area. See, people that will help us put things in perspective in our lives. Have you realized by now that things in your life are easier to be seen from the outside than from the inside? You know, people that are seeing you from the outside can 
very fastly pick, you know, you should do this different, you should do this better. You know, I, I know that we all need mentors. I need mentors. You know how I know that? Sometimes I'm giving advice to people, and when I am giving the advice, I'm thinking inside of me, if only I listen to all my own advice, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know? So you need people that pushes you, you know, that, that really makes you listen. See, uh, Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, so you, you need a lot of advisors in, in all the areas of your life. Now, uh, how, do you, how do you find a mentor? See, a mentor should be a person that, first of all, you trust entirely. You need to truly trust this person or you're not going to follow the advice that you receive. And in order to trust them, this person has to be a mature person. That means that his or her character and the values that they pursue are things that you would love to adopt in your own life. But also you need to find somebody that has a lot of experience in the field of your interest, in the field that you're selecting them to. You know, it is surprising to me. Sometimes I'm getting a haircut and I'm listening to people asking the barber for advice on how to live life. You're like, how do you know what this guy's living like? You know, you, the, the person needs to be an expert on, on the field of your interest. Now, this is very important. See, it says your program, how to benefit from a mentor. How can you benefit from a relationship with a mentor? There's two things that you need to do. First of all, you need to ask the right questions. You, you really need to learn to ask the right questions because based on the questions that you ask, it depends on the knowledge that you will receive. Uh, Proverbs 20, uh, verse 5, it's a very interesting proverb, says this. Though good advice lies deep within the heart, a person with understanding will draw it out. See, first of all, this verse is telling us that you can learn something from anyone. You know, all people are ignorant just in different areas and they have knowledge in different areas. But it's interesting that it says good advice lies deep within the heart. Sometimes the good advice that you can get from someone is not something that they even realize that they can give you. They're hidden deep in their heart. But it says a person with understanding will draw it out. How do you draw out, you know, the, the, the advice that you need? By asking questions. Just by simply asking questions. So, uh, one of the uh, persons that mentored me and I don't even know if he realized at the moment that he was being a mentor to me, is um, Mark's dad, the Monship. See, when, I, when we lived here, my wife and I and our kids, we lived here for a year and a half in 2008 and 9. And um, for the first eight months that I worked here, I couldn't really work because I was getting my, my residence card and I couldn't work before that. So what I did is I joined the, the first impressions team. I was at the door, outside the building, opening the door for people. It was a job that I really enjoyed. But one of the things that I enjoyed the most is that I would sit during one of the sermons of Mark, but then the other two sermons, after we finished work and all the people were seeing, the music was over, the sermon started, we would just sit at the lobby and just talk among ourselves. And oftentimes, the Monshuk would sit there. So I would just sit right next to him and start asking him questions, start talking to him. You know, I started picking his brain. And one day, uh, I, I asked him, uh, you know, I've been preparing my sermons for a few years, you know, doing the best I could with the knowledge that I had, but I really didn't have, you know, uh, education on it. So I said, how do you structure your sermons? You know, how do you write a sermon? How do you start? How do you build a body? He said, do you really want to know? I was like, yeah. So he invited me over to his house the next day. And he spent a few hours, he brought out all his material, notes from years, decades of pastoring. I got a free seminary education just by asking one question. 
You know? So this is what you have to do. You have to just ask the right questions. Uh, uh, many of you around my age probably have heard of Dale Carnegie. Remember Dale Carnegie? He wrote amazing books, you know? Uh, well, one of his books is called How to Enjoy Your Life and Your Job. I love that book. But you know what impressed me the most? When I read about how he had gone about writing it. You know, what he did and on his time, was the beginning of last century, he wrote letters to the most successful people in different areas of society and asked them for an interview to ask them some questions for a book he was writing. And to his delight, most of them invited him over. So he just sat with them and asked them questions. So he would come with a list of questions. He would ask them things like, how do you handle stress? What's the hardest thing that you have faced and what did you learn from it? If you have to start all over again, what would you do different? You know, uh, how do you handle your money? You know, how do you balance your professional life with your, with your family life? How do you, you know, question after question after question. And he wrote that book, and it's a jewel of wisdom, practical knowledge from all walks of life. So you need to learn to ask questions, okay? But the second, and very important, you have to be open to feedback. And, and in particular, Negative feedback, because we all love good feedback, you know, but you, you need to listen to the negative feedback in your life. See, uh, I have noticed that the people that grow the fastest in any area of life are people that are willing to do four things. Open for feed, you know, they, they ask for feedback. They listen to your feedback without justifying themselves. You know, then they evaluate the information that they receive and take action on it. If you're willing to do those four things, you're going to grow. Now, unfortunately, see, our most natural response to negative uh, feedback is defensiveness. We immediately get defensive, you know, put our nails out. We don't like to hear it. You know, yeah, I have a speck, but you have a beam. And, you know, like we start attacking the other person. See, but the truth is, if you learn to, to receive criticism, even, even from enemies uh, as constructive criticism, your enemies will become helpers of you. If you listen to what they say and you evaluate and go like, Are they, is it true? I mean, maybe they didn't say it in the nicest way, but could it be true? Then you can learn and you can change. See, Ecclesiastes 7.5 says, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. You know what this guy is saying? He's saying, a person that is all the time praising you, even when you shouldn't be praised, when you should be told that you're doing something wrong, they're not helping you. They're sending you in a path of failure because you think you're doing great. You think you're doing right. So do not listen just to people that are praising you all the time. Listen to criticism. It's the only way that you're going to grow. Uh, have you heard of Stephen King? You know who he is? You know, he's considered uh, the biggest literary success of our generation. You know, I, I read a book that he wrote many years ago called On Writing. You know, I wanted to learn about writing. I thought, well, you know, this guy must know. You know, so I, I bought his book and started reading. And I was surprised that one of the first few things that he said is, you will only succeed if you're willing to listen to your critics. And I thought, well, easy for you to say. You write really well. Nobody criticizes you. But then I kept reading. You know which one was the first novel that he got published? It's a novel that became very fast a movie and became very successful. It was called... Carrie. Remember that, that movie? I think that they just remade it horribly, but they just remade it. Um, well, I went on to read that when he wrote Carrie, he was a school teacher. He was barely making it. 
You know, he barely made ends meet, and he wrote the novel and sent it to this publisher. And the guy trashed it, you know, like, scratched things, had changed the style, changed the develop the, the people better, the characters better, and returned it. And to his surprise, you know, Stephen King did the changes and sent it back. He was surprised because, you know, those guys know that most people give up after like the second time that they are rejected. So he again changed things and returned it to him, and Stephen King changed it and returned. You know how many times that went back and forth? 30 times. At the 31st time, the guy said, fine, we'll print it. And it became a bestseller, and ever since, Stephen King has, um, you know, they, they have printed over 95 books that became bestsellers, many of them popular movies, you know, tons of money, fame. It's all because he was willing to listen to the criticism of people and acted upon it. So you need models that inspire you. You need mentors that advise you. But also, number three, you need partners that will assist you on your journey. And by partners, I mean kind of like teammates, you know, a, a network of people that, that you try to do the journey together because you are all going in the same direction. Why is this so important? Listen, everything that we talk about when we're talking about uh, living full out for God, it's not easy to do. You know, the teachings of Jesus, they're anti-cultural. They're not popular. The world is going in a different direction. So you need a group of people that is going with you in the right direction that you can grab arm to arm and you're swimming against the current with them. Okay? This is the reason why yeah, many, uh, many people will not live full out for God. Because they try to do it on their own. And by yourself, the current is going to just take you out. It is crucial that you surround your, yourself with people like this. So just think of it this way. If, if you were planning on climbing Mount Everest, would you select carefully the people that would go with you? Or would you just pick whoever wanted to go? It is crucial that you pick the right people. You're going to depend on, on their support, on their motivation, you know, uh, one of the toughest process of selection is the process that NASA uses to select astronauts that are going to go in rockets to the moon. Because they're going to be in a very tight environment, they're going to face huge challenges, and these people need to be not only well-trained, they have to be motivated, they have to be positive, they have to integrate and work together great, and this is exactly what you need. People around you that goes in the same direction. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. See, uh, in the original, it, says, it doesn't say good. It says they have a better return for their labor. This is the law of synergy. You know what synergy is? You know, synergy says that two people working together towards the same objective will obtain a larger result than if each one of them goes after the same objective and they add up their results. You get more when you work together. That's the law of synergy. And it says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. See, we all need partners. Uh, Jesus had partners. You know, he had 12 disciples. But when things got really rough and dark, he brought his closest three and would say to them, pray with me, pray for me, strengthen me with your prayers. Paul always traveled with eight people, four to eight people that support. Even the long ranger had Tonto, you know. There's no long traveling, you know. Now, in order for you to have a good source of, of, of uh, partners, 
God created a whole organism that he called the church. See, this is what we are. We are a group of people that are pursuing the same values and we're trying to go in the same direction. This is what Paul means in Romans 12, 5 when he says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. See, this is where, where you need to search for, for mentors and for partners. See, this is the importance of connecting to the church. And I don't mean to the building. I mean to the church, to the people, to, to create a small group to study the Bible, you know, to join the ministry, because that is the best source of finding mentors and partners. And, and, and I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this to you right now. See, every time I preach a sermon like this in Cancun, at the end of the sermon, I get at least five to ten guys that come and say, will you mentor me? And the reality is that with the size of the church, that's impossible to me. And I know that some of you are hearing these things and you might be thinking, I'm going to ask Mark to mentor me. He's not going to be able to. Not to all of you. So if you want to find the right mentors, join a ministry, create a small group, find people in here that are going in the same direction that you are going. And it's going to be a lot more easy to go in that direction and your chances of success are higher. Okay? But aside from all those three, you need also, number four, friends that support you. See, your partners and your friends are not necessarily the same people. They might become the same people, but are not necessarily the same people. And you have to realize that selecting your friends is one of the most important decisions that you make in life. See, your family was not optional. Your co-workers oftentimes are not optional. But your friends, you pick them. And you have to pick them correctly. See, your friends have to uh, provide for you three types of support. Number one, emotional support. Emotional support. It means regardless of circumstances, a good friend will be there to make you feel better, not worse, better. Even if they have to confront you with things and say things that you need to hear even if you don't want to hear them, a friend loves you. So he would say things carefully in a way that they will not hurt you. Because if they really love you, you know, it's going to hurt them as much to say the things as it's going to hurt you to hear them. See, um, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. That means in every type of situation, a friend would love you and support you. You know what surprises me very much? Sometimes I talk to people at church, and they tell me things that suppose the friends told them, and I just cannot believe my ears. You know, friends that they have that, that make fun of them, humiliate them. Do you think that's a friend? So when I was um, young, you know, I was born in Acapulco, Mexico. We moved out of there, but then we came back and I was very young. And in, in the bay, in Acapulco, there are these huge rocks that are full of crabs. And there's always teenagers that are hunting for crabs, but they do something that I didn't understand why they did it. You know, they, they grabbed the bucket and they ran after the crabs and when they grabbed the first one, they put it into the bucket and they go shaking the bucket until they catch the second one. And once they catch the second one, they put the bucket in the floor and they keep running after crabs and they just keep throwing them in the bucket. So I always wonder, why do they do that not until the second crab, you know? So I once asked them and the guy said to me, oh, if you just grab one and put it in and leave it alone, it will catch the end and crawl out and escape. But if you put two, when one is trying to get out, the other one grabs him and pulls him down. <laughs> and if you keep adding crabs, you know, one tries to get out, the rest of them grab them and pull them down so they can escape. You know what I'm trying to tell you? 
Don't hang out with crabs. <laughs> Those are not your friends, okay? Your friends are the people that try to push you out of the bucket. See, if you have the possibility of a promotion at work and you come to your supposed friend, you say, I'm trying to get this job, and your friend looks at you and says, like, you? Ha! That's not a friend. He's trying to pull you down. And you know why they do that? Because they don't have the courage to try to do what you're trying to do. They are afraid, and they would feel much better if you don't do either. So they pull you down. You need to find friends that support you emotionally and push you out of the bucket. Okay? Also, they have to support you intellectually. They have to give you intellectual support, which means that they will stimulate you to think. See, don't hang out with people that are so superficial that all conversations are boring. You need to stimulate your way of thinking. This is what a friend will do. See, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. You have to walk around people that are wise or wiser than you. See, uh, I worked in the hotel business for many years, and, and there was something that happened there that uh, always surprised me. There's people that thought that a friend was someone that was in a higher position and gave them a good position even if they were not ready for it, even if they were not prepared for it, you know? And I always realized that the only reason why they do that is that so you would be in their debt and they can control you because you're not prepared for that. You depend on them to everything. Chances are you're going to fail if they do that. A good friend sees your potential and helps you develop it. That's a friend, a friend that supports you intellectually. And very important, they give you spiritual support. You know, spiritual support. You know, a, a good friend is going to support your, your, your spiritual journey. He's going to push you to be closer to Jesus, not farther away from Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We need friends that will encourage us to, to, to do the right things, to do the good works, to, to get closer to God. Friends that will pray with you, friends that will pray for you, you know, they will project you in the right direction. Now, how do you find good friends? See, this is what makes this tough and most of these concepts tough. See, the only way that you can find good friends is by being a good friend. The most important thing for God is your character, the type of person that you are. You know, you need to be a certain way. It, it, most people think of things that they need to do, but if you think about it, it's not about what you do, but about what you are. Like if I ask you, what do I have to do to have a good marriage? What's the answer? I have to be a good husband. What I have to do to have good neighbors? I have to be a good neighbor. What do I have to do to find good friends? Be a good friend. You know, give emotional support, give intellectual support, give spiritual support. So, I'm going to say something and it's going to sound harsh. If you think about everything that I just said, you're going to realize that there are certain relationships there are friendships right now that you should eliminate in your life. Because the Bible says that there is very high danger in you having relationships with people that do not share the values that you are pursuing. See, 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, what harmony is there between Christ and the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? I, I have to clarify what I am not trying to say. 
I'm not saying that you should not have any friendship relationship with people that do not believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. Actually, part of our mission is to extend the kingdom of God and to extend that you have to establish relationship with people that do not believe in Christ. I'm not saying neither, because a lot of people read this message and think, oh, so what do I have to do about my marriage? See, in, in, in a church of this size, I know that there's a lot of people that are married to people that are not believers. Maybe you stubborned out, or, or, or maybe you didn't even know Jesus when you got married. This verse is not talking to you. He's talking about relationships that you can eliminate. If you're married to a person, the Bible says that now your role is to sanctify that person with your prayers and the light that you will shine with your behavior. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about friendships. What I'm talking about is people that you are willing to open your heart to, that you share your struggles, that you spend a lot of time with them, so you allow them to influence you. If that person is going in a different direction and is trying to pull you in that direction, it's a matter of time that you're going to start going in the same direction as that person. See, see it this way. If the person is laying down and you're trying to pull them up and they want to be pulled up, you're going to be able to do it. But if they're trying to pull you down, who do you think is going to win? Who has the advantage there? As a matter of fact, you know, uh, you have to really look at these things carefully. See, 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Think about this. All these things that we've been talking about and that we always talk about at church, you've heard them before. You've heard before that God has a plan for you, that there is a purpose why you're here, you know, that you should be living full out for him. And I'm sure that if you're not doing it, but you have heard it in the past, chances are that you heard it and you thought, it's true. I have to do it. I feel the pull in my heart. I should do these things. And you walk out of here, decided to do it, and you're not doing it because of one person. There's a person in your life that you're afraid to lose or you're afraid that they're going to reject you and you, if you full out live for God. And if that is your case, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I really willing to disobey God, sacrifice my fulfillment and, and, and maybe even my eternal rewards just to obtain the approval of this one person? Because that's what you would be doing. See, if you're more concerned with the opinion of one person here on earth than the opinion of God, that person is your God. And I just want to remind you that one day you're going to be face to face with God. And he's going to ask you for an account of your life. And I just want to see the face you're going to have when you have to tell him, it's just that the guy was really cute. <laughs> this girl was beautiful, you know? It's like he was really a nice friend. Really? I mean, you have to make the tough questions about your relationships. Is these people helping me or stopping me to fulfill my mission? And this is the reason why it is so important that you get this. I just talked about the important relationships of people here on earth. But the most important relationship that you have to have in your life is your relationship with Jesus. Because if that is not the most important relationship, nothing spiritual is going to work in your life. Jesus said it very clearly. John 15, 5 says, if you remain in me and I in you, I, you will bear much fruit. So you will go for the wind. You will truly succeed. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So spiritually speaking, it is not going to work if Jesus is not your main relationship and that influences all the relationships. But you need the four of them. You need to identify models, find mentors, 
You know, grab your arms around partners and surround yourself with good friends. So commit to have a deeper relationship with Jesus and to find those relationships within this family. And then you will truly go for the win. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for your word that it's so clear and so practical. And I know, Father, that uh, to, to some of us this may seem just practical. But if it's in your word, Lord, we know that it's deep spiritual knowledge. So please help us today, Father. Help us to open our eyes, to look around ourselves and find the right models. You know, to ask for the right mentors. Put them in our lives, Father. Help us select the, the best partners and friends that we can find. And help us truly live for you, Lord, so that we will truly succeed in this life. We ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.